Hey, good evening. You up all night tossing, turning, mind racing? Can't get to sleep? Well, I think you're in the right place. Because Sleep With Me is proud to present Game of Drones, the Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with an episode destruction. Episode destruction. We do it with an episode discussion. Tonight we're going to talk about Breaker of Chains, Season 4, Episode 3. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. Podcast is going to create a safe place to take your mind off of whatever's racing through your brain. All you need to do is listen. As I start to dissect this episode, I'm not going to dissect it in the exciting way George R. Martin would, or some person with a, a good Game of Thrones podcast would. No, I'm going to talk about the boring parts that interest me. And I'm going to kind of drone on about them. At first, it'll seem interesting. It'll engage you. And ideally, the next thing you know, you'll be waking up. Because the podcast got so boring, you drifted off into sleep. Now, that's the goal here. If it's your first time here, welcome. That's what this is, a podcast to bore you to sleep. Sounds weird. Sounds strange. Works for some people. Work Doesn't work for other people. So, if you're having trouble sleeping or you love Game of Thrones, test this podcast out. If you have no idea what Game of Thrones is, it's probably and, and it's probably not going to matter to you. I could probably still bore you to sleep, believe me. Um, I'm good at being dull. <laughs> if, if you, yeah, yeah. I'll still do my best to bore you to sleep. Uh, that's it. Uh, you can find us on the web at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones for the Game of Drones episodes. We also have episodes on Tuesday and Thursday to bore you to sleep, Sleep With Me podcast. You can find us on iTunes. If you have any questions, it's feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. On Twitter, you can find me at Dearest Scooter. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, let me know. I guess we just got a couple quick pieces of housekeeping to get out of the way. I want to say thank you to... I want to say thank you to Aaron and the Ozarks. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. A-R-A-N. Aaron. Aaron. Thank you. Uh, Aaron tried to post a review on iTunes. Not having much luck, but sending me a nice email and a post on the website. And don't worry, uh, iTunes sometimes is a little slow with getting their reviews up. So it should be fine. Don't worry about it. And I also want to say thank you to Matthew, who sent me a very nice email. Uh, I want to say hi to Alejandra, Minnie, and Alejandra's sister uh, in, in Sonoma County, uh, Northern California. We're in the same general vicinity uh, for sharing with her friends on Twitter how much she likes the podcast. So thank you. And she also has a very cute cat. That's Minnie. And I got to still get permission to see if I can share the pictures of the cat on our Twitter feed. And then one that last thank you to... Voni, V-O-N-I, for a nice review of I, uh, for a nice review of us on iTunes. So thank you all, and I love hearing from you guys. And that's it. So nice to hear from all of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, good evening, everybody. I think uh, we're talking about breakers of chain, chains, breaker of chains. Breakers of chain, breakers of chain. It's breaker because it's one person 
at least symbolically breaking the chains. That's Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 3. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about about this episode. First, I'm going to run through the episode, and then I'll cover our subjects for the night, because I'm not going to really give you an episode recap. But this was a juicy, juicy episode, and I just don't have time to cover everything that interested me. And plus, I'm not sure if it was the intense way the last episode ended and then this way this episode opens, or if it was in the mood I was in. But I just found there was many moments in this episode that were, like, hilarious. I mean, where the humor and the the lines the characters were delivering was killer. So, you know, I want to acknowledge that because, like, maybe you can go back and savor, savor those Say for those moments, I mean, I, I mean, or maybe, I, maybe I'm just weird, but I just want to point him out to you. So let's get to the episode, Breaker of Chains. All right, so it opens with the ringing of the bells, obviously not wedding bells, and Sansa uh, making a run for it, and Littlefinger saying, "Oh, you know, you're you're stronger than you know," and what else do they say? The worst has passed. Oh, hey, hey, now that's uh. The worst is past from Littlefinger. But uh, it made me think of, like, if you have committed regicide, where you're pretty sure you're going to be uh, framed for regicide, what what is the downside of trying to escape, you know? I think they were like, is Sansa trying to escape or something? Like, I mean, if you killed the king or you, you, you know you're set up for people to think you killed the king, you better, I mean, run. I mean, even if you only get 50 feet, what's, what's, what's the, there's no downside. I guess that's it. Now, there's not a lot of kings and queens around. I don't recommend regicide. But if you're, you know, putting yourself in some fantasy fiction action, pulling on the virtual reality helmet, or lying in bed staring at the ceiling, or in the shower imagining, you know, you're on a, a campaign of regicide and fantasies only, Run for it, okay? That's my advice to you. Get out of there. Who cares if someone's arrow takes you down, okay? And if you didn't commit the crime, if the A-team's going to rescue you or something or whatever, just try to get out of there anyway. Run for it. It's no cowardice, okay? So that's it. That's 1.1. I don't even know if that's a point. Oh, I liked uh, how um, Tywin was... uh, Oh, we're going to cover, like, etiquette. Um, funeral etiquette, but man, there was a lot of stuff going down around Joff's body that was horribly, I mean, there was, I mean, crime committed. Jamie committed a crime in my eyes or gross, I mean, gross, a horrible act, but also like Tywin was just like talking to Tommen, uh, giving a little history lesson over his brother's dead body. Not exactly the most politest thing. And, but, I mean, it's a TV show, and it shows us who the characters really are. I mean, and that's why I'm laughing, uh, especially with Tywin. He's like, oh, you know, let's talk. Who does he talk about? Uh, Horace the First being this just, but uh, what's that word called? Uh, McFly, gullible. And then uh, talks about Baylor the Blessed, and then he throws Robert Baratheon under the bus. But then there's this joke at the end when they're walking out of the uh, temple and he says, uh, uh, you know, grandfather to grandson. 
Same one giving me the details about, uh, what does he say? He says something about furthering the family line. And is anybody giving you the details about that? And then he says something. Uh, it, it is really straightforward. And then they walk off into the kind of, not to the sunset together, but man, that was fun. I mean, I know it's not funny me telling it, but go ahead and rewatch that if you want to laugh. And a, and a laugh based in like gross um, behavior of characters. And and actually, Tywin just being himself, being Tywin. Got a, we got a multiple urination scenes in this episode. First one is the hound. And I think it's just funny that he's going to the bathroom. And he's talking about that it's going to rain. And then we have another subject we're going to talk about tonight, which is squatter's rights. Because hound has a little run-in with a local. And they talk a little bit about real estate. We'll talk about that in a minute. And also, uh, the hound shoots a snot rocket, I think. And I don't know, I don't know, you know, across the world. I'll post a YouTube video about snot rockets because it's not really, it's one of the things I just don't have time to cover tonight is snot rockets. Um, I, I know soccer players, football players do snot rockets. NBA probably, I don't know how many NBA players do it because you're indoors. Baseball players do it. But um, I, I, I don't have a chance to cover that, so I'll try to find something on YouTube that's not gross. But yeah, so just go to sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones for that, uh, for the show notes. Talk about Walter Frey burning in the seventh hell, which is interesting because for Get Bezos, I did a lot of research on hell, mostly Christian hell, or the uh, hell that uh, that dude believed in, Dante or whatever, Catholic, Christian, I'm not sure, because I'm an idiot. But uh there is a hell, a special, and it's pretty deep in the hell. I don't know. I think there was nine circles of hell there. But you're pretty much in, like, one of the worst sections of hell if you let something, like, if you deceive or, you know, do something to someone that you're housing as a guest. So um, cheers to George R. R. Martin for recognizing that you shouldn't be, uh, they should take care of your guests. You know, why can't you be more like Motel 7 and leave the light on for us? Walter Frey. Moon. Um, hound. Another good hound line. Dead men don't need silver. Uh, yeah, so. Another thing I didn't get to get into, but we'll kind of talk about in a different sense with Sam. He was talking to Gilly and, you know, how, uh, what does he say? They all think I'm lying, but he's not lying about killing the uh, White Walker. I always wonder what kind of paranoia is that? What, what? So, again, I'm putting this out to the listeners. To the, I'm crowdsourcing uh, or group sourcing. I don't, we don't have quite a crowd. But uh, if you're into mental illness, if you know anything about mental illness, because I actually suffer from that, he's not lying, but he's worried that people will think he's lying. A lot of times that happens to me. I'm not lying or I'm not doing anything wrong. Like when you're f- afraid you're going to get pulled over and you haven't broken any laws. Uh, that would be one example. Moving on. Oh, another thing is like he talks about like how often men, you know, he's, they're talking about sex and, and Gilly. And I hope I got a right name right. but And how all the men are thinking about having sex with her. And then I went, I went to, um, I'll post this in the show notes. It was like, oh, yeah, there's all these like 
sayings like, oh, men think about sex every seven minutes. Men think about sex every three minutes. It's not true. But there are some statistical-based surveys. Let me check. I'll just give you the quick statistics. I'll put the rest in the show notes. Hold on one second. I got multiple sources on this Ohio State study. Um, the median score, this is uh, 200 and about 250 college students at Ohio State. Uh, the men, the median sexual thoughts during the day was 18.6. Holy Freudian slip. 18.6. And for women, it was 9.9. And the average for men was 34.2. And for women, it was 18.6. That's the number of times they thought about sex daily. So obviously, it's not every three or four minutes. For, for most people, for pervs like myself, maybe it's more. I'm not, I mean, I'm not really a perv. I mean, or maybe I am. I don't know. Let's keep moving, though. Okay, Gil. Oh, another great Sam and Gilly, that, which is a gift that keeps on giving. He says it's something that someone comes up with. It's safer in Moletown. I mean, never could the, whoever created the English language, no words could be uttered. I mean, there are few words uttered more greater than that. Oh, it's going to be safer in Moletown. No, no, it's not. It's called Moletown. It's a whorehouse where where criminals that have been forced to join an army go to blow off steam. And there's, you know, people coming to kill everybody. No, it's not going to be safer in Moletown. But, but even if you didn't know, like, if, even if you don't know what Game of Thrones is, good test. Email me, feedback at sleepingpodcast.com. If I told you it was going to be safer in Moletown, would you go to anywhere called Moletown? Or think that moles are safe. You might, I mean, the best case scenario could be a place where there's a higher incident of skin cancer. Still not safe. Moles, you know. So, I thought that was funny, and I think they they thought it was funny. George R. R. Martin, Weiss and Benioff, whoever, or maybe not. Maybe I don't know. We get another. T- we get a taste of Sir Davos in this episode. He says Kerniget. I thought that was a gas. Kerniget, a little, just a little breath of humor. But then Sir Davos ain't done. They're not done giving the killer lines to Sir Davos. And boy, oh boy, does so. I mean, if someone can deliver humorous lines, he says, this might be, I, I mean, I haven't watched, rewatched the whole season yet, but it might be the funniest line of the season, or one of them. And he says, uh, your father, what is it? I, I, I rewatched this like five or six times. Your father lacks an appreciation of the finer points of bad behavior. Oh, that's funny. I, I mean, when Sir Davos delivers it, when I'm telling it in a podcast, not funny. But your father lacks an appreciation of the finer points of bad behavior. He's telling it to a little girl. And uh, good stuff. You may Maybe you should just watch the show if you haven't. There's another little uh, plug inside a Game of Thrones podcast for Game of Thrones. Because I know some of you just listen to this to be bored, which is fine. But Game of Thrones is not boring. Check it out, please. Oh, another thing about Moletown that I was interested in, didn't have a chance to do the research, is industries that crop up around military bases. It was hard. Like I, I initially did some research, but... Uh, it was at a, on a work computer, too. I, I don't know. I still might lose my job, but a lot of racy stuff comes up because, I mean, brothels is the main thing I'm looking at. 
find any fact-based research about or nonsense. Neither one I can find anything. So crowdsource if you guys are interested. Maybe someone, or if you're like a graduate student, hey, let's, uh, let's say another thing. I'm, I'm actually, this is one of the things I'm good at, not completing stuff. But if you need, if you're a graduate student and you're listening or doctoral student, you need tips on just a subject for your thesis, there it is. We can we can adjust it to the subject, but stuff around businesses around military bases, brothels around military bases, what other businesses? Rates of death, you know, we'll, we'll come up with something, okay? Or ancient military bases. Like, what's better? Have any armies tried having the brothels on the base versus off the base? Like, Moltown's off the base. Uh, a lot of times, U.S. especially, unfortunately, has kind of been involved in some not-so-nice stuff, either directly or indirectly involving uh, sexual slavery. And how does that affect the army? Like, is there a way? It, it, I don't know that much about prostitution, believe it or not. But, yeah, is there is there a softer, gentler way or not? All, all stuff you could be doing your thesis about. So let's talk. Another good line Oberon has is, uh, some believe the sky is blue because we live in the eye of a blue-eyed giant. Funny stuff. Funny stuff. Um, and a good point, biting, subversive. And at the same time, hilarious. Some believe the sky is blue because we live in the eye of a blue-eyed giant. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to them or is he talking to us or both? That was another subject. I didn't have to, I'm sorry to disappoint you guys. What 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 is living in our eyes? If we're the blue-eyed giant, is there a world in our eyes or not? Okay, we're almost done with this bore, this initial boredom. But uh, Tyrion has a couple good lines towards the end. He says, uh, you know, talks of fathers never uh, failed to take advantage of a family tragedy. He never fails to take advantage of a family tragedy. And then he has this line, uh, they, the ominous they, the men pulling the strings. So that's uh, another subject we're going to talk about tonight is conspiracy theories and mental illness or mindset and conspiracy theories. But I just... Just love that line. Not, not so much funny, but they. I mean, the way Dinklage delivers it. Poof. They, the ominous they. I, want to, I mean, obviously I'm not Peter Dinklage, so I'm not delivering in the same way, but uh, good line. And just, oof, I don't know. Okay, and then I'm going to jump forward. There's a, another peeing with the uh, champion of Marine and then the Khaleesi's champion and there's face jewelry and chains getting thrown. But before that is the scene that should put you on the floor with laughter. It is so sad and hilarious at the same time. It is like, I mean, again, I know I'm overdoing it, but I can't clap your hands enough for this show. So you got this Irish-looking countryside or, Scottish or whatever-looking countryside, or however you prefer your countrysides. It might be, uh, you know, wherever. You got this dad and the son walking, and uh, let me check the line here. And they're talking about what they're having for dinner, and they go, they both say at the same time, potatoes. Like, what do you think's for dinner, kind of? Potatoes. And they're kind of rolling their eyes. A very father-son bonding moment. 
And then he father even adds an extra barb of like, no one boils potatoes like your mother. And then a greet, a greet, a greet. I don't know how to say her name. In the, in the name of all women and feminism, she wastes the... Sorry, my phone click. She, in, all, in the name of all feminism and women being made fun of, she wastes that father with an arrow. She says, there's your fucking potatoes, you son of a bitch. And then the son's crushed. So that was funny to me, my sick mind. All right, so that's uh, an episode kind of coverage, which I haven't done before. Might might be boring, might not be. So what are we going to cover tonight? We're going to cover warning systems. So there's bells and there's horns in this episode. Wanted to touch on warning systems. There's a lot of interesting stuff out there about it. Want to talk about etiquette at funerals and uh, the recently deceased, like actual useful etiquette. Urine, we're not talking about that. We'll talk about squatters' rights because, uh, as uh, the hound said, this guy says to the hound, "That's my. This is my land." He says, "No, I'm standing on it. This is my land." So, what is squatters' rights? You know, we hear about it all the time. What does it really mean? I want to touch just about moon calendars and moon time because something about that came up in the episode that seemed important. And then we'll talk about conspiracy theories and mental illness. Uh, so that's it. Let's get on with the uh, boredom. All right, so ideally I wanted to look up, like, what is more effective for a warning system if you were in Westeros? The horn, which they use on the wall, or, like, bells, like they use in King's Landing, or is there some other way? But I really couldn't. I I kept searching. Again, I'm not a master researcher, but I was searching bells, warning system, horns, warning system. Most of the stuff that was coming up was Cold War-related stuff, which we'll get to. And I was remembering a movie where they were lighting, the, like, the pyres and the they were using beacons to communicate. And it turns out that's based on reality. Uh, it was in the ninth century, uh, was it? The Byzantine Empire used a system of beacons to transmit messages from the border with the... Abbasid Caliphate, Caliphate across Asia Minor to the capital Constantinople. And there was like a main line of beacons that ran 450 miles across uh, Asia Minor, 60 miles, 97 kilometers apart. And then when they were in Bithynia, which is more broken terrain, they were like 35 miles, 65 kilometers apart. Now, based on modern experiments... A message could be transmitted the entire length of that line within an hour. That's 450 miles, 720 kilometers. Uh, pretty cool, huh? And then it was dismantled, of course, by some jerk. And that's from Wikipedia that I got that info, so very reliable. Now, I went on, you know, so like I said, a lot of stuff came up about modern day Cold War era warning systems. Now, many warning systems, it's important to know if you're going to hear one, their sound is different than the emergency vehicles that have two simultaneous tones. They'll, the warning systems will have uh, something, an untempered minor third. I don't know what any of this means, but, uh, you know, 
It's not, uh, this is from Wikipedia again, too. I don't know how useful that is, but warning, if you're designing a warning system, should be different than a normal warning system. Now the, uh, let me see. The horn system, according to uh, our buddies over at AWOIF, a wiki of ice and fire, .westeros.org, they're talking a little bit about uh, the Night's Watch. It turns out a single horn blast is to herald the arriving of the Brothers of the Watch. Two horn blasts horn of an attack. Three horn blasts that hasn't been used in thousands of years. Uh, or that the others are approaching. I don't know how detail-oriented. I don't know if they did a three-horn blast that episode. Oh, I guess they wouldn't, not this episode. Two short-horn blasts followed by a long one called a mount-up. That's about it for for that. Um, Let's talk a little more boring uh, warning systems because it really stirs my imagination around Cold War is something that uh, is going to be ripe for, for uh, very filmic to me. Or maybe not, maybe it's just emotionally. I don't know what I'm talking about, but let's talk more about these warning systems. The U.S., this is from, uh, is this from Wikipedia? Shit. I'm not 100% sure if this is from Wikipedia or not, so I'll double-check that and post in the show notes, but... Uh, the U.S. has used uh, several sets of warning tones, which varied over time, by government structure and manufacturer. The initial alerts promulgated during World War II were the alert signal, a three-five-minute steady continuous siren tone, an attack signal, three-to-five-minute wail siren tone, or a series of short, short tone bursts. Victory Siren Manual stated that when manual operation, a warbling tone was required. Blah, blah, blah. Um, that's, that's pretty boring. Uh, this, this other part, this is from the King James Bible. This came up in my research straight out of the Bible from Ezekiel. This is uh, Ezekiel, uh, oh shoot, Ezekiel 33. This is from the King James Bible. Ezekiel is Israel's watchman. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of the people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, and when the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, the blood shall be on their head. So, if you get warned by the watchman, it's your own fault. I think. I'm not an expert at this stuff. And I lost my spot. But, oh. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. That's not, uh, don't worry about your souls, but but if the watchman see the sword come and blow not his trumpet, and the people not be warned, if the sword come and take any person among them, he is taken away in iniquity, something like the watchman's in big trouble. So from Ezekiel, 
If you're the watchman, do your job, okay? That's what the Bible's telling you. If you're not the watchman, hopefully your elected officials picked a good watchman who's reliable, and you should listen to him. Now, that's a big problem. Could be. Um, another thing, this is from the UK, which we heard from one of our buddies in the UK this week. Re- another really interesting stories could be generated from this, and they have a lot of music has been. In the UK, they had something called the four-minute warning, which was a public alert system conceived by the British government during the Cold War operated between 1953 and 1992. The name was derived from the approximate length of time from the point at which a Soviet nuclear missile attack against the UK could be confirmed and the impact of those targets. Population was to be notified by means of air raid sirens, television, radio, and urgency cover immediately. In practice, the warning would have more likely been three minutes or less, so four minutes um, to kiss your ass goodbye, more or less. That's just, just crazy. I mean, crazy. Here's a couple basic details, and then we'll move on. The warning would be initiated by the detection of inbound, this is from all from Wikipedia, inbound missiles and aircraft targeted the UK. Early in the Cold War, Jordel Bank was, was used to detect and track incoming missiles. From uh, 58 to 63, the radio scope was uh, early warning of Soviets. Plain Coast RAF officers worked alongside scientists and uh, Bernard Mulvill was angry because the military was nosing in too much. Throughout the Cold War, there was conflict between the RAF and the home office over the warning system. And this was just not for practical or technical reasons. This could be just Wikipedia nonsense, though. Um, From the early 1960s, initial detection of the attack would have been provided by the uh, RAF station in uh, North Yorkshire. Uh, there, the radar would track the inbound missiles and allow uh, confirmation of targets in later years. Any, it's crazy. And then uh, the system was dismantled at the end of the dismantled. Now this is just a. Uh, we're staying boring. I'm ho- I hope you're falling asleep. This is this is the past, so no no reason to be scared. It's more something to um, savor and be interested in. This is what they would read, would have read, uh, according to the BBC. This is a transcript uh, recorded for BBC Radio 4 by Peter Donaldson. Granted, according to Wikipedia, so this is a wartime broadcasting service. The country has been attacked with nuclear weapons. Communications have been seriously, severely disrupted, and the number of casualties and the extent of damage are not yet known. We shall bring you further information as soon as possible. Meanwhile, stay tuned to this wavelength. Stay calm and stay in your own house. Remember, there's nothing to be gained by trying to get away. By leaving your homes, you could be exposing yourselves to greater... Actually, maybe I shouldn't be reading this. Um, Which is interesting. I don't know. I don't know why I find this stuff interesting. I guess maybe I'm just nuts. But, uh, again, they had this system to both protect and to warn. And it's kind of like, I don't know, something about the King's Watch made me look into this. 
So yeah, kind of a little bit, a little bit of a downer. But it's again, it's the past. This is just history we're talking about now. So it's gonna be okay. We're safe. We're gonna be okay. All right. Okay, folks. Uh, we're going from one downer to another, but this could be useful. It's uh, how to behave at a funeral. Let's cover some funeral etiquette for today. So this is, don't think about the downside. Think about being prepared. Uh, you know, if someone passes away, you might want to help. This is all from uh, funeralsource.org. Maybe I should skip this whole thing. I did a lot of work, but I just got a feeling this isn't such a good idea. You know what? In, in, uh, I'll post it in the show notes because if you're almost asleep, you don't want to hear about funerals. I don't think. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a censor, but I'm trying to. I'm trying to balance my 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 entire audience's needs, and it's not. I don't have any good jokes, or any wacky voices. Just uh, printed boring material. So I'll find something else to bore you with. Let's go on to the next subject. <laughs> I, I had eight pages of uh, printed material research for that funeral ed- etiquette subject. Okay, so our next subject is. The next subject is something way more uh, upbeat. Squatters' rights. So, you know, the hound has this kind of joking thing that he's standing on the land. It's his. And if you're the hound, who's going to take the land from you? Nobody. Well, maybe somebody someday, but nobody is going to mess with the hound. But what about us, you know? Don't you ever fantasize when you hear someone or you get that friend that knows everything and they're like, all you need to do is move into that house and it's yours. You know, you have the dream of being a squatter in a Malibu mansion. And the next thing you know, you own the mansion, you didn't pay a dime for it. You just sat around there. So how much of this is real and how much of it's BS is my question. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to answer those questions. And, the, and so... I looked up, uh, I looked it up on mental floss. This is what I found on mental floss, uh, an article called How to Squatters' Rights Works. What rights does squatters actually have? Well, according to mental floss in the U.S., squatters' rights isn't a list of specific rights, but it's a specific form of adverse possession, a legal principle inherited from England. Adverse possession allows for real estate to change ownership without payment if someone occupies another's property while meeting certain requirements for a set amount of time without the owner getting rid of them. And the example they use is like, say you, well, that example they use is boring. But like, yeah, what if you couldn't get rid of the hound? How long would he get to, you know, how long does he have to last? Now, the idea behind adverse possession Possession, according to the California Court of Appeals 1979 decision, is that land use has had historically favored use over disuse. Of course, it's called land use, so. And therefore, he who uses the land is per- preferred in the law over one who does not, even though the latter is the rightful owner. Hence, our laws of property have sanctioned certain types of other unlawful taking. Now, this is a bunch of a load of malarkey, I'll tell you right now, from my personal legal opinion, because, yeah, that's what they say, but you got plenty of people controlling a lot of land. They're not doing nothing with it. You know, a regular guy like me is not going to go in and uh, 
start farming it, that's happened around here and with negative consequences. So, yeah, this is just another case of the lawyers uh, writing a bunch of garbage. So it turns out, you know who's got rights? Squatters don't. Lawyers do. Let's let's cover a little more. Uh, this is an article uh, from gov, www.govuk, squatting law overview. Uh, overview 1, squatting is when someone knowingly enters a residential building as a trespasser and lives there or intends to live there. Squatting in residential buildings in the UK is illegal. It can lead to six months in prison, $5,000 fine, or both. A person who enters a property with the permission of the landlord but who falls behind on rent payments is not a squatter. Although squatting in a non-residential building or land isn't a crime, Trespassers on non-residential property may be committing other crimes. But it says here, uh, simply being on another person's non-residential property without their permission is not usually a crime. But if you commit other crimes, the police can take action. Those crimes can include damage to property, damage when entering the property, not leaving when you're told to by court, stealing from the property, using electricity, electricity or gas without permission, fly tipping, not obeying noise abatement notice, uh, now fly tipping, I had to look that up, of course, fly tipping just means dumping, which I guess would be that if you fly tipping, still, I didn't look up enough of why it's called fly tipping in the UK, but like dumping brings flies, so it must be, it's not like cow tipping. You really can't tip a fly over. So yeah, that's that. Um, if you if you do have a run-in with a squatter and you're in the UK, you're going to need Form N130. So uh, just 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 note that if you're in the UK, Form N130. Uh, one other thing about squatting, uh, Dutch sociologist Hans Prut uh, has different kinds of squatters. You have deprivation-based squatters. Homeless people squatting for need. Alternative housing strategy. Those are hippies, I would say. People unprepared to wait on, oh no, wait on lists to be housing. So I don't know what the difference between deprivation and housing base. I guess dep- how depriva- housing is. Alternative would be out of choice, deprivations out of need. That would be the dip- Entrepreneurial. Those are scumbags, people breaking into buildings. Um, to make money, Convers- conservational, uh, try to preserve monuments that are in decay, political, squatting as a protest or to make a social center. So there are good forms of squatting. And there's a lot more we could talk about squatting, but, yeah, uh, you know, we don't have, well, you do, I guess we do have all night, but I don't have unlimited. Okay, um... Lunar calendar. The lunar calendar is a calendar based on the cycles of lunar phases, according to Wikipedia. Because there are slightly more than 12 lunations, syndoic months in a solar year, period of 12 lunar months, 354.37 days is sometimes referred to as a lunar year. 
Okay, I was distracted there. The lunar calendar became the basis of calendars in China, Babylonia, Greece, other Middle East. Uh, antiquity of the lunar calendar is best approximated to a solar year calendar based on a 19-year period with seven of these 19 years having 13 months. In all, the period contained 235 months, still using the lunation value of 29 to the first power divided by two days. This is dense. Um, even the 19-year period... A common, purely learner calendar is the Islamic calendar. Uh, a year is always 12 months, so the months are not linked with the seasons and drift each solar year by 11 to 12 days. comes back to position. The oldest known lunar calendar was found in Scotland, 10,000 BP. I don't even know what that means. Many calendars referred to as lunar calendars are in fact lunisolar. That is, months reflect the lunar cycle. But then the intercalary months, a.k.a. second Adar, and the Hebrew calendar are added to bring the calendar year into synchronization with the solar year. Some examples are the Chinese and Hindu calendars. Some calendar systems are used in antiquity are also lunisolar, solar all these calendars have a variable number of months in the year. Uh, there's a lot more boring stuff, but it made me think of, uh, I don't know if anybody's listened to read the book Red Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson. And it's been about uh, 10, 15, probably 15 years since I read the book, maybe. 20, uh, maybe 10, uh, let's, say, let's say I probably read it 12 years ago. So I don't really remember a lot about it. I remember I enjoyed it as a, a sci-fi. I'm not sure. That one's a straight novel, I think. But I think some of the after, like there's Green Mars and Blue Mars. I want to see some of those are like short stories or novellas. But uh, it was interesting. It's just an interesting book because of how it handles the, uh, uh, I don't want to spoiler alert. And this is like off the cuff. But uh, I think the Mars, I don't know, the way the sun worked on Mars is that it was 25 hours a day. So every day between, I'm not even sure, maybe it was only once a month or maybe it was every day, they would, there would be an hour where the clock would just stop. So at midnight, the clock would stop for an hour. So that way you're, they were in sync with Earth, I think. And that was like a, the party hour where people would be making love or drinking, smoking, celebrating. Definitely, if you're a, a interstellar explorer, you need to blow some steam off. So it's just something I thought of. Not important. Okay, next up is uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, we had Sam talking about people not believing him when he's lying. Now we have Tyrion talking about this... Uh, them or the other, I mean, not the others, like, what does he say? I don't remember. It was not pop, not important, but he was joking, kind of, like the puppet masters. And, and the, you think about it, there's a, a lot of people that buy into conspiracy theories. I find conspiracy theories interesting. 
don't necessarily believe them, but a part of me wishes they were true because they're incredibly, um, well, reality can be dull. That's why we need these narratives and, and things like Game of Thrones, like, and art to give life meaning because day-to-day life is, is kind of dull and it can suck the soul out of you a little bit. It can keep you from being able to sleep or keep, keep your life from being fulfilling. So that's one of the reasons we need art and, and entertainments. And I think there was a point in there, but I'm not sure what the point was that I was going to make. Oh, was that, I, I don't know, conspiracy theories, that's um, uh, why they interest me? I don't know. But uh, so, I, but then maybe curious, like, is there a, a certain personality type or a certain kind of mental illness that's more susceptible to conspiracy theories or the people that really believe that? No offense if you do. This isn't a judgment podcast, even though I read that Bible thing. I'm not here to judge you or to diagnose you. I mean, I will make armchair diagnoses, but that's because I'm a jackass. But so, yeah, so I did some research into this conspiracy theory stuff, and that's what we're going to talk about. This first article is by uh, Caitlin Schur. It's called uh, Insights into the Personalities of Conspiracy Theorists. Pretty sure it's from Scientific American, um, but uh, we'll put it in the show notes. But Caitlin Schur is the writer for sure. Okay, here's our first quote. Conspiracy theories and scientific theories attempt to explain the world around us, both apply a filter of logic to the complexity of the universe. So conspiracy theories in science, there are ways to explain things, and things that are complicated make, make them make sense, thereby transforming randomness into reason. Remember how much uh, Jeff Goldblum was into the chaos theory in Jurassic Park? So he, he, this might have been written by his character. Or was the chaos theory in um, Independence Day? Yeah, that's a good question. Yet these two, it was, it was definitely Jurassic Park. Uh, I mean, that's why he was like the truth teller or whatever, predictor of doom, and the told you so guy. I think they're rebooting, their new Jurassic Park is called Jurassic World. I don't know anything about it, but... It could be pretty cool. Yet these two theoretical breeds differ in important ways. So science and conspiracy are different. Scientific theories, by definition, must be falsifiable. That is, they must make reliable predictions about the world, and if those predictions turn out to be incorrect, the theory could be declared false. So. This isn't scientific, but if you're standing outside, you could say it's raining, and the person that comes outside can prove that false or true. Say, oh, either it is raining or it's not. And sure, you could get into some semantic argument, but about the meaning of rain or whatever garbage. But if you want to, if you're going to argue till the till the to the end of your days, but usually you could say, oh, it's raining, and you can go outside and prove that true or false. Oh, conspiracy theories, on the other hand, are tough to disprove. Their proponents can make theories, the theories, increasingly elaborate 
to accommodate new observations and ultimately any information contradicting a conspiracy theory can be answered with, well, sure, that's what they want you to think. That's what they always say. That's what they want you to think. Um, in this article, they talk about it. They, they talk about a couple different conspiracy theories. Da Vinci, D- Disciples, they call it this one. Theory, all the, compl- all the claims are some in Dan Brown's 2003 novel, Da Vinci Code, are true. Uh, studies say even theories built as science fiction can attract a following. Survey conducted in 2005 found that 64 respondents who read the Da Vinci Code believed in, to some extent, some of the stuff. Willingness to believe in this conspiracy may be related to what researchers call terror management theory, which holds that subscribing to such a grand dogma can assuage fears related to morality. In a 2011 study that found an association between Da Vinci-esque conspiracies and anxiety about death. Well, we're all anxious about that, but yeah, can that be managed or not? What's your terror, terror management? Conspiracies, science, faith, day-to-day living, insane podcast-related fantasies with fan fiction and nonsense. That's how I manage my terror. I'm not joking either. Um, Amelia Earhart. Theory, the uh, disappearance of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. Talk about somebody that doesn't get any press. Fred Noonan. It might be my first time hearing about him. Uh, it bred a array of conspiracy theories from the optimistic that she survived and disappeared to that she was busted by aliens. Studies say uh, researchers found that respondents in a University of Westminster study believed that who believed in the Earhart conspiracy had low self-esteem and were cynical towards politics, were less agreeable, and gave themselves lower ratings of intelligence. Whew, I, don't, I don't want to be making that argument, but uh, that's a theory, or that, that that's a study. This is an interesting one, and it's going to come up again in another article. Uh, Osama bin Laden wasn't alive when the U.S. raid happened on his compound, or that he's still alive now. A 2012 study by Michael J. Wood and his colleagues at the University of Kent found that those believe that bin Laden was dead prior to the American intervention are more likely to believe he's alive. He's currently alive. Similarly, Authors found that those who think Princess Diana faked her death are more likely to believe she was murdered. So which is it, dead or alive? Research suggests that such contradictory narratives are linked by an underlying distrust of authority. Uh, so, interesting, huh? Okay, it's another article uh, called Conspiracy Theorists Aren't Really Skeptics. It's by William Slayton, and it's uh, from Slate. That's uh, it's from Slate, and I'll post that in the show notes, slate.com. A couple things from this article. Why do people believe in so many absurd things? The answer is that people who suspect conspiracies aren't really skeptics. 
like the rest of us, they're selective doubters. They favor a worldview, which they uncritically defend, but the worldview isn't about God, values, freedom, or equality. It's about the omnipotence, omnipotence or omnipotence of elites. Uh, conspiracy chatter is dismissed as mental illness, but the prevalence of such belief documented in surveys is for scholars to take it more seriously. 1999 research headed by Marina Abalakina Pop in New Mexico State studies. Students were asked if they agreed with the uh, underground movements. Blah, blah, blah. Stronger, strongest predictor of general belief in conspiracies is a lack of trust. The survey's instrument that was used in the experiment to measure trust was more social than intellectual. It asked the students in various ways whether they believed that most human beings treat each other generously, fairly, fairly and sincerely. So it measured their faith in people, not propositions. People of low trust in others are likely to believe that others are colluding against them. Man, this does not bode well for me. The authors propose this sort of distrust, in other words, favors a black kind of belief that makes you more susceptible to conspiracy. Uh, a decade later, this is this uh, same uh, thing. It talks about uh, the 9-11 and Princess Diana thing, an alienation from mainstream politics and a question of received truths. So if you believe the worst in people, I guess. The common thread between distrust and cynicism is defined in these experiments as a perception of bad character more broadly as a tendency to focus on intention and agency rather than randomness or casual complexity. There you have the Goldblum side of things, the uh, Jurassic Park. In the extreme form, it can become paranoia. In mild form, it's common weakness known as fundamental attribution error, ascribing others' behavior to personality traits and objectives, forgetting the importance of situational factors and chance. Suspicion, imagination, and fantasy are closely related. The more you see the world this way, full of malice and planning instead of circumstance and coincidence, the more likely you are to accept conspiracy theories of all kinds. Man, I wonder if uh, I read this before they made Jurassic Park. Who was that, Michael Crichton? Once you buy into this theory with its premise of coordination, efficiency, and secrecy, the next seems more plausible. I think that I, I think that's I got more notes on that, but it makes me want to riff because I think one I think it was Michael Crichton that doesn't believe in global warming. I'm not sure if he thinks it's a conspiracy, but it's interesting because if he could sit down with this character, who am I call Miles? I think uh, Jeff Goldblum has played a Miles character before. I'm not sure. What movie that was in? It might have been uh, Steve Zissou or something else, but he seems like a Miles. I have a cousin, Miles, so I'm confident using it. If he was to sit down with Miles and they were going to talk about uh, conspiracy theory, Miles would be like, uh, Michael, man, like, what are you thinking? I, like, I guess they'd have to talk about the real Jurassic Park if it was real. 
And then the aftermath, and my, Michael might say, like, well, I don't know. I, I guess I'm making a little straw man argument. I'm not doing a very good job. But I think Miles would be like, well, obviously, he was telling them ahead of time, like, Murphy's Law, stuff happens. It's chaos. Random stuff happens for no reason at all. And, you know, if you put dangerous things, actually, I don't even know what his argument was, but if it's like, don't mess with velociraptors, like, don't bring them back because some crazy stuff could happen and then they'll get you. And I'm sure maybe there's someone else there. Maybe they were in the movie. Maybe they weren't. That was like, or maybe if a conspiracy theorist was there, he'd be like, oh, no, you, you know. Well, first of all, if Jurassic Park actually opened successfully and then a conspiracy theory went, he'd be like, oh, you waited till I paid all this money to come here and then you let the dinosaur eat me. Thanks a lot. Uh, and he'd also think like, oh, the dinosaurs are out because uh, the Republicans are the Democrats or the left or the right or this religion or that religion. They wanted to get the dinosaurs out because they wanted to eat me because I knew all about them or... I don't know. I guess I'm making an argument that's kind of worthless, but uh, let's, uh, let's wrap up conspiracy theories, all right? Well, there's plenty of stuff for you to think about while you're lying in bed if you're still awake. A couple of, to, 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 you know, think about and imagine and laugh about. A couple of things, uh, like if I had all night, I could just keep going on and on. That's how nuts I am. But a couple of things you think about Tywin and Tom and sex talk and how Tywin explain the rest of sex to Tom and Diddy. Like, what were Tommen's questions? He seems like a very innocent young man and uh, genuine. And, like, what, is there any grandfather? I mean, Tywin was just like, you're going to be fine. And that could lead you into, well, maybe that doesn't, you could go wherever you want with that. You know, what are the specifics? Does Tywin talk about the mechanics? Does Tywin have any preferences that he talks to Tom and about, like, oh, you should do it this way, or does he just not care? Who, who knows? You could t- think about, um, another thing I thought about is this Horus, Horus and Baylor, Baylor the Brave or whatever, and Horus the First, uh, some kings, historical kings of King's Landing, of, of uh, Westeros, that didn't have... They weren't good kings, according to Tywin. You know, they'd be good characters in a, a sitcom. Horace and Baylor, you know, they're like the odd couple. And then you throw Robert Baratheon in, you got like a, then you definitely have a, wow, you definitely have like a, it's like an odd couple with three people, like three roommates. Um, I don't know, you got, you got something there to think about, okay? Think about living with Robert Baratheon. Baylor the Blessed, that was who that Baylor the Blessed and Horus the the Just, Horus the First, and then Horus's brother's no good, so we got to deal with that. Another thing, if you guys, if you want, to, if you need to pass the time, I don't know if I'm good at this skill. Maybe it's a skill I can develop. But you know, when people do those tombstones, like he realized Doug, uh, he, he he was four foot tall. Had it, then he had a fall or something. I don't know. Those funny tombstones. Make up some for Baylor. Baylor the blessed liked to pray till he got hit with a gamma ray. 
you know, something like that that actually is funny and suiting Westeros. It's another thing you could do. Uh, make up, think of songs that have to do with it being safer in Molestown or different catchphrases. Safer in Molestown. I don't know. I just find that hilarious. Safer in Molestown. Or think of, like, it could be like a, would that be a joke? Like a, oh, there's a piano about to fall on your head, but it's safer. Oh, yeah, I guess that wouldn't be safer in Molestown. Or if the four-minute warning uh, went off and you were in the UK, you'd be like, we'd be safer in Molestown. But it'd be a joke because you really, really wouldn't. I guess maybe. I don't know. Another thing, I'm going to close out with a prayer. Um, I think I'm going to start these, uh, uh, not a, a non, a fictional prayer. So don't worry. I'm not taking up any faith. I'm not taking up the new faith or the old faith. I'm just fictionalizing. I'm going to pray to the crone, one of the seven, because I like the word crone. And also there's already a maiden I think there's like a miller, a maiden, warrior, a miller, father, a mother. I don't know. There's a crone. I mean, that's that's nice. Crones don't get a lot of, it's not, not a lot of religions with crones. I mean, I'm sure that some of the, so, yeah. All right, so we're going to close it out. Good night. I hope you get a good night's sleep. And this is my attempt at blasphemy with the uh, the old new gods seven okay getting ready for my bed I just had my uh, pigeon soup my book soup my stomach's growling actually I'll probably I don't think they practice the seven on the but I just maybe I'm at that house with the uh, they had the lamb soup or whatever hound's drunk he's passed out because I snuck him in some wine okay well the crone well, I guess there's not. There's another mother. Oh, crone. I've always wondered how to how to pray to you. Of all the gods, I know you the least. And I know you're the wisest of all the gods because you're the oldest. And the wrinkles on your face when I imagine you watching over me are impenetrable with their leather-like thickness. And I know those markings on your face are supposed to show the signs of wisdom, but they make me uncomfortable. So now as I pray, I'm going to look away from you. But I do not hope you, I hope I do not look away from your wisdom, wisest crone. For some reason, great crone, when I think of you and pray to you, I think of birds. I don't know if that's a mistake like that. Birds go crone, crone crone or if there's a bird called a crone or I'm just distracted but forgive me wise crone for uh, misremembering you and your wiseness please help me to think more clearly and think like a crone would but, but I, don't, I don't know or maybe not because if you're so old and wise you may have lived out a full life and my life has not yet been filled Help me be nicer to the old people of our, well, old people are having a rough go of it, and if they, help them, help me to uh, 
there's this old guy and his daughter, and I think the hound's probably, you know, he's going to hound them. Yeah, just keep it, keep it, keep the old people out of our way. Uh, Mother Crone. Oh, and you're not the mother, you're just the crone. Help me remember. Yeah, it was good talking to you, crone. Can I just, I just like crone. You have a Miller Miller. You do have, I'm working on this new religion thing, the new faith, because I'm just hedging my bets. So help me with that, Mother Crone. Just crone, I know. Help me remember that you're the crone what you're good for and maintain my youth as long as possible that'd be great uh, if you got any other tips you know because I've been trying to get the hold of the miller or the butcher and they don't uh, they don't give me what I'm asking for so I don't know if you're one of those scornful gods that'll take somebody's side because if you are you're the God for me, Crone. And I heard that you're just a different face of one God, but then I heard about this other God, that fire God. And then I saw the faces with the trees. But I could I could go for you, Crone. I could be your, I could worship you, only you, or just worship you better than the rest of the gods. I just need some stuff. Uh, the, the hound's driving me nuts. And this is even the original hound. He's like this guy who calls himself the hound, even though he's not the hound, but he's still tough. And he's what calls me his page boy. And I'm just sick of it. So if you could help me out, that'd be great. So say, Crone, I'll try to talk to you tomorrow. Um, yeah, if you could help my friends, I'll get a good night's sleep. You know, send them some Crone energy. And anybody that's downtrodden, help them out, Crone. What are you doing? You can't be that busy. I mean, what, how, why would you retire and become a god? That's unfair. I hope you have energy of someone. I mean, you're supposed to be a god. It doesn't make sense that you're old. But so can you do some stuff for these people, please, Crone? Don't get mad, Crone, because I'm here to worship only you. Sick of the father and maiden. They think they're so great and they don't do anything for me. So I'm looking for a goddess that'll do stuff for me that I can praise. So thanks, Crone. And I'll be back soon. Good night. Good night to everyone else in the Crone's kingdom. <laughs>